This is Cindy Burnett, and you are listening to the new Thoughts from a Page podcast. I love all things bookish. I run a bookstagram account called Thoughts from a Page. I write two book columns called Buzz Reads and Page Turners for a local Houston publication called The Buzz Magazines. And I co-operate a literary salon here in Houston called Conversations from a Page. We are currently on Zoom, so check us out at cfapage.net. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I am interviewing Ava Homa. Her debut novel was published in May and is entitled Daughters of Smoke and Fire. Ava is a writer, journalist, and activist specializing in women's issues and Middle Eastern affairs. She holds an MA in English and creative writing from the University of Windsor, in Canada. Her collection of short stories, Echoes from the Other Land, was long listed for the Frank O'Connor International Prize, and she is the inaugural recipient of the Penn Canada Humber College Writers in Exile Scholarship. She was born and raised in the Kurdistan province in Iran, and now divides her time between Toronto and the Bay Area. Welcome, Ava Homa, the debut author of Daughters of Smoke and Fire. How are you today? I'm well. Happy to be talking to you, Cindy. I'm happy to be talking to you too. Why don't we start out by you talking a little bit about Daughters of Smoke and Fire? Sure. So it's an authentic original story written about underrepresented people, and that's the Kurdish people in the Middle East whose lands were divided between four countries after the First World War, courtesy of the Allies. And so for the past hundred years, these 40 million people have not been seen as human, but rather as threats to be annihilated. And this story weaves 50 years of modern Kurdish history through the story of a family, try to look at how humans' uh, atrocities can shape generations. It follows the story of uh, a family, especially a sibling, and four different ways that people deal with geopolitical oppression. The mother is more interested in self-numbing and following her sexual adventures. The father, who has been tortured and imprisoned, is now hollowed and depressed. The brother has a lot of energy and motivation, wants to be a human rights lawyer. And the sister, Layla, uh, who is the main point of view of the story, um, is more interested in arts and filmmaking. But individuals obviously can't make their lives independent from each other. Therefore, their paths merge, especially Layla and Chia, our brother, when Chia disappears on the streets of Tehran during a protest. And now it's Layla's duty to find him to see if he's dead or alive and what to do next. Now, I understand you are the first Kurdish woman to write a story, a novel in English. Is that correct? Uh, As far as we know, but that really says more about the kind of world we live in, whose voices we hear, whose stories we hear. There is a lot of, obviously, talent among Kurdish women, just like there is in talent and determination among people of any group. We are not easily given platforms. Um, And so... Well, that's exactly what I was going to say, was that obviously there are many Kurdish women. So it's wonderful that you're the first and hopefully there will be many more behind you. Hopefully. Daughters will be successful enough that next time, because when I was trying to sell my book, a lot of publishers told me that, oh, great story, beautiful writing, but I'm sorry, this book won't sell. I just hope that no Kurdish writer would ever hear something like that. Well, not just Kurdish, but really any writer from any underrepresented group. Hopefully there'll be many more people following your lead. I sure hope so. How did you come up with the subject matter for this book? Did you have to do any research? Well, Sunday, I worked as a journalist and activist for years. And so many times looking at what human is capable of doing to human, I just couldn't understand why we could 
go on? Why did we keep living? At the same time, I have a deep connection to nature. I love to hike, to camp. I spend a lot of time in the ocean, uh, diving, snorkeling, swimming, paddleboarding. And a lot of time, my heart wants to stop just from understanding all the beauty and harmony and just the magnitude of nature, how magnificent it is. And so this contrast has been with me. How do we make our way in the world as human when we deal with cruelty and injustice? What's the right way or the best way to deal with it? Because it's the easiest thing to look away. It's the easiest thing to say, well, that's just how reality is. This is the status quo. But what else can we do? And I thought about the human's ability to look injustice in the eye and not be destroyed by it and not be overwhelmed by it. Even though in initially we might break down, but what can we do in order to push forward? So basically, I just wanted to write a novel that's an homage to human resilience and human capabilities. Even when you are considered small, you're just a woman. You're just from a minority group. You live on the borders of Iran and Iran, but then there is still resistance and hope and strength in you, in every single one of us. And that's what I wanted to write about. Well, I think you were very successful in doing that. Thank you. What do you hope your readers take away from this book? First of all, just the joy, the joy of story, the joy of understanding humans, the joy of understanding how meaningless borders and categorizations are and how close we are despite everything that separates us. I hope that people would get a chance to see the humanity of those of us that are dehumanized through media and other profit makers. And I really hope that everyone, every reader would be able to see themselves in the book and understand their world better, regardless of where in the world they are. Well, I think that's the important thing about reading about groups of people and individuals of different cultures, races, whatever it is, because it definitely humanizes them. But I think when you begin to read about any group of people, you're thinking, oh, I have a lot more in common with these people than I ever dreamt. And so getting these stories out in the world will hopefully just continue to help people understand and be more empathetic. Absolutely. And that could change global policies because then that would make a change difference in who we vote for and what we demand from our representatives. To ask our representatives to see the humanity and the dehumanized will change everything, not just for the underrepresented, but for everyone. We will have a just, safe and healthy society that will benefit every single one of us. The thing that really resonated with me about your book was the fact that the Kurds don't have a country. They have land and it's the map at the beginning was fabulous because that really helped place it in context for me, but that there there's not a country to call their own, a place to go. And I don't know what it's like for them in the other countries where they have territory, but it did not seem like it was pleasant at all in Iran. Yeah, that's true. When you are stateless, when you aren't on the map, you pretty much don't exist anywhere. Um, it, it, it shapes, uh, obviously, the policies, especially in a volatile region like the Middle East, but it also affects academia. So there are Middle Eastern studies, but there is very little Kurdish studies. There's Turkish studies, Arab studies, Persian studies, but you rarely ever hear about the Kurds. And the more you don't know about a group of people, the easier it is to annihilate them and target them. And not just that, change their narrative completely rename them and destroy their reputation in the world as well. Well, that's a very good point because once I started reading your book and I was thinking, I don't know very much about the Kurds, but I started remembering that my husband and I had been on our honeymoon in 1999 in Paris in February and there were the uh, protests. 
So when we were walking down the street in Paris on the 15th and 16th of February, there was all sorts of protests in front of the Greek consulate. And everybody was saying, and I'm sure I'm not going to say this correctly, but Libere or Shalon, because he had been captured. So I had to go back and look all of this up. And I was like, oh, yes, okay. So that's my familiarity. But other than that, sadly and shamefully on my part, that was it. So I was happy to read your story so that I do now know more about them. And as I said, that really tells more about the world than you, Cindy. Like, I really hope one of the questions that my readers would ask themselves would be like, oh my God, how do I know so much about Kardashian and Justin Bieber and so little about 40 million people who have gone through so much atrocity? What kind of world do I live in and how, how could I possibly change that? Absolutely. And that also speaks a little bit to our education system, which is a totally different topic, but how poorly done some things are in in history. And hopefully, again, based on things that have been happening recently, history will be a more well-rounded presentation of the history. Yeah, we sure hope so. And we could keep pushing for it. We'll see how much tangible, practical change will happen. What was the highlight of writing Daughters of Smoke and Fire? Learning, uh, research, rewrite, learning the craft of writing a novel. Also, so much about characterization, about the interviews that I had to conduct with people in Kurdish, Persian, and English to understand what it's like to be a freedom fighter, to be a prisoner, and all of that. I feel like I really grew up with this book in the past 10 years. That was going to be one of my questions, was how long it took you to write it. So it was 10 years? Yes, it was exactly 10 years from the time that I started writing the book to the time that the book came out. I started May 2010, and this came out May 2020. So it was a very lengthy, difficult, but very enriching process. Well, it turned out beautifully. So I know that's a long time, but we're all excited that you got to get it published. Thank you. I appreciate it. What comes first, the plot or the characters? That's a question I normally ask. I know that's a little different with your book because probably most likely it's a group of people. But how would you answer that question? Oh, for me, characters always come first. I think plot is only meaningful if it transforms something within the character or changes something in outside of the character. Otherwise, what are plots for if they're not creating change or revealing character or just moving the story forward with character for me? definitely comes first. I agree. And I always like the stories where you can tell that they started with the characters and then worked on the plot. How did you come up with the title to this book? It it was in consultation with my good editors. I was really, really blessed, even though it took a long time to find a house for this book. But I was really lucky to work with two very good editors, Chelsea Cutchin at uh, Overlook Plus, at the Abrams, and uh, Jennifer Lambert at HarperCollins. We both agreed that this would be an interesting title that would represent the content and form of the story and uh, would draw attention. Well, in connection with that, the cover. I am all about covers and I really much prefer beautiful covers that I think represent the story well versus something that seems like it has no connection whatsoever or there's not been much thought put into it. Your cover is beautiful. It's actually what first caught my attention on Instagram when it was on one of my friend's accounts. And I was like, wow. And that's what I started looking at it. And I was like, well, that book looks good. So it's a perfect example of how important the cover is. 
I'm really happy to hear that. You know what? I've heard a lot of horror stories and I didn't think that as a debut author, my publishing house would give much, it would show much interest in my input as an author, but I was surprised and really delighted that they did pay attention because I really wanted that red flower on the book as the most beautiful representative of the content of the book, but also of Kurdistan. It's a type of uh, flower that grows in really rough condition across Kurdistan Plateau. It's a rare flower. You won't see it often. And they come out in, in difficult condition, but with really vibrant colors like bright red and orange and yellow. And the flower is so humble. There's a sense of humility because the flower is looking down, yet there's a crown on top of the flower. So it was everything I thought represented the history of the Kurds and the nature of Kurdistan. And I was delighted that they put it on there. Uh, but the Canadian cover looks different, but it's also very meaningful and beautiful. And I was, again, really grateful that they listened to my inputs. I do think it makes a difference because sometimes I think the cover department gets the blurb for the book, but they don't read the whole book. And that can make a huge difference. So with you knowing what it's about, you're able to then give them some ideas about what should work. And the fact that it is a flower found in Kurdistan makes it very relevant. Oh, absolutely. I think if your heart is in the book, if you love how the book turned out to be as an author, then you show a lot more enthusiasm. And I think that enthusiasm comes across and would encourage more people to pick up the book. What have you thought the best thing about being a writer is? Oh, there is so much beauty in it. It's a very difficult and lonely job. The beauty of sharing stories, of creating connections between humans, communicating, expressing what matters to do, Realizing that you do play a role, even though small, but still significant in collective human growth. And my goal has been to create a novel which wouldn't only give the reader a chance to read a story, but really to experience something and to experience something that they wouldn't be able to access otherwise. How many people can travel to Kurdistan? But through this book, you get to see what the streets smell like in the spring. What are the joys and beauties of the Kurdish culture? What are the horrors that people go through? And how do humans survive and keep going despite really difficult conditions? Well, I think that is one of the things that resonated with me was I felt you did a really good job of describing what it was like to be a Kurd. When Layla's going to school and she can't even speak in her native language and just different things, I felt like I was there and you transported me there. And to me, that's the sign of a really very strong writer. Cindy, that sentence means the world to me. I work really hard and I'm so glad that I, I hear this from you today. Well, those are my favorite kind of books when I feel like I actually have gone someplace without ever having to leave my house, especially right now <laughs> when true. we're not really able to leave our house very much. Yeah. Even when we are able to, there are so few countries in the world that you can safely travel to, but I really want to know what goes on in the rest of the world. So books that help me travel to so many hard to access places are the ones that I really treasure. I completely agree. Are you working on anything else at the present? I'm sure you're probably just enjoying having your book out into the world after all the time you spent on it, but have you begun thinking about writing another book? Yes, I've actually been thinking about, I've actually started writing another novel, this one. I don't get to spend as much time on it every day because of the pandemic and the protests and everything else that demands our attention. But it's the story of a refugee in the U.S., someone who tries to make meaning and purpose in a world where home, their home has turned into hell, but also a lot of safe countries are riding the anti-refugee waves and how you can find 
a safe space for yourself when you can neither go back nor safely stay in where you've migrated. Oh, that sounds interesting. I look forward to it when it makes its way out into the world. Thank you. What do you like to do when you're not writing or reading? I'm in nature. I'm hiking, camping, diving, paddleboarding, either in a mountain or in the ocean, one of those two. Well, you're in California, correct? Right now, yes. That's why I am in California. Otherwise, I would stay in Toronto. (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. California is an easy place to get to those variety of places. There aren't a lot of locations that you can be hiking in the mountains and then down at the sea very easily, not very far away. Very true. And I paid a huge price to be able to spend at least a few months of the year in California. And I truly enjoy it. It is. It's beautiful. Share something your readers wouldn't know about you. Well, this weekend, I was thinking that if I ever have the resources, I would love to have an award in honor of authors who write in their third or fourth languages and authors who create a bridge between human societies by telling us about what we don't really hear about. I would love it if one day I can honor writers like that. How many languages do you speak? (laughs) Uh, I am highly fluent in three languages and uh, somewhat speak two more. That's amazing. So obviously English and Kurdish, and what's the other? And Persian. Those are the, uh, the three languages that I easily maneuver. Because um, you were born in Iran, is that correct? Right. Born in How Iran. old were you when you left? You want to take a guess? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any idea. Um, 18? 24. Oh, I wasn't very close at all. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, what I was trying to say is that I didn't learn English as a kid. I learned it as an adult. And so that explains the accent. All right. Well, I'm so glad you joined me. And now I'd like to end with the question I ask everybody, which is tell me two or three or four of your favorite recent reads. So the book that I'm currently reading is uh, uh, the last book of Adan Amaru by Michael Zapata. Uh, It's really enlightening, insightful, and very thrilling. Before that, I was reading Rita Wood's Remembrance, which is a timely novel about slavery and how it affects generations to come. Uh, Before that, I was reading Douglas Swartz's Shaggy Bane, which is a heartfelt, painful, but beautiful story about how you can find hope within very difficult conditions. Oh, those all sound very good. I'm not familiar with any of them, so I'm going to have to go look them up afterwards. Are they debut authors mainly? Yes, they are debut authors whose books came out during the pandemic, and therefore they really didn't get the attention they deserve. And I read a lot of books, but these three have uh, stayed with me because they were so powerful. I'm sure you will love them, Cindy. I highly recommend looking them up. Well, I look forward to checking them out. Well, I'm so glad to have talked with you, and I've been so impressed to see with your, your debut novel. I know you've written short stories in the past, but with this debut, how great your reviews have been and all the wonderful things people have had to say about it. Congratulations. That has to be very enlightening to know that, that people are really connecting with your book. Thank you, Sydney. I'm grateful. Thank you so much for listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast and tell all your friends about the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I would really appreciate it. Daughters of Smoke and Fire can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time. Thanks so much to KP Regan for the sound editing. And as always, thank you so much for listening. History is complicated. 
The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.